Welcome to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Welcome to I Communicate. I'm Mark Altman, your host, and uh, happy to have you back with us. And this week, we're doing a show called Is This Meeting Necessary? And every one of you listening to the show today has probably asked that question at your company, within your organization. We're seeing a lot of articles on Zoom fatigue and meeting fatigue. And so I thought, how do you know if this meeting is necessary? How do you know if this meeting should happen? So this show is dedicated to uh, some strategies and an approach to knowing whether meetings are necessary. But before we get heavily into that, we have to understand what the root cause of the complaints about meetings are. So there's, there's a handful of root causes, but I'm going to focus on these. First of all, a lot of people, when they attend meetings, they feel like they have better things to do. But it's not as simple as that, right? They feel like they have better things to do, often because the meeting topic doesn't apply to them, okay, or not directly apply to them. Uh, they, they also feel like they role in the meeting, And third, they feel like their opinion or input isn't valued or cared about. So based on those three factors, they decide they feel like they have better things to do. But see, the the real trick around meetings are these two, right? One is... And, and not to dismiss what I just said, because that's, that's effective leadership communication and employee engagement. So that is a problem in itself. But the bigger issues when it comes to meeting, even greater than that, is people who feel like meetings weren't necessary because the information could have just been emailed. But what's the problem with that? If you ask a lot of C-suite executives... They'll say, well, the problem is people don't read email. And then they'll complain when they're not included or not in the know or in the loop of what is going on. Hence, we have meetings. So I think to myself, when a leader says that, I say, well, wait a minute now. So basically what we're saying is because people don't read emails and they don't choose to read the emails, we're going to enable the behavior and have a meetings because people aren't taking seriously the emails. Now, part of the problem here is, it, as I've always said, my clients know this, it takes two to tango. So are people not reading the email because it's incredibly long and overwhelming, or are people not reading the email because, like I said before, it doesn't apply directly to them, Or people meeting the email because they're not engaged and they don't care. So the problem isn't necessarily send an email or have a meeting. You also need to examine the content of your email, the ability to make it relevant and impactful, and that's the same criteria you would want in a meeting. But what we don't want to do is say, forget sending emails, we're just going to have meetings because no one checks their email. Look, when you're a leader, you're supposed to have a primary job is to capture people's attention. So whether it's in a meeting or email, are you making it relevant? Are you capturing people's attention? 
does the reader have a clear why, why they should take the time to care and read? That's part of your job as a leader, to make them understand why it matters. And if you put together an engaging and impactful and relevant email, and certain people choose not to read that, that's their problem. It's not yours. Your job is to make it relevant and engaging. Their job is to read it. And, and what's happening now with so much remote leadership and hybrid work environments, people are having more meetings because that's their desperate way to stay connected and do team building and create engagement and collaboration. So now we're doing a lot of virtual meetings. We're doing a lot of hybrid meetings where some people are in person and some are remote as they come back to work. And while the person running the meeting thinks they're doing people a favor by helping people stay connected and create engagement, in many cases creates the opposite and can, and can foster resentment because of meeting and Zoom fatigue and because of the exact criteria I referred to a few moments ago. So one of the challenges in remote leadership that we help companies with is how do you stay connected? How do you still foster that collaboration and camaraderie in a team when people aren't working in person or everybody isn't working remote or uh, everybody isn't working one way or the other? And the answer is not just to have more meetings. Because you may have meetings, but if they're not, the meeting itself isn't collaborative, then you're not creating engagement and connection. Just because there's faces in a room doesn't create engagement and connection. Come on, people. This is, this is not how you motivate, inspire, and develop people and get them engaged in their workplace. And I want you to think about something for a second. Meetings are a request for someone's time. So carefully evaluate the cost and the benefit. Think about this for a second. You have people on your team that report to you. If you're an effective leader, you're setting clear boundaries. Doesn't mean you're not available. Doesn't mean you're not supportive for your team. But you're setting boundaries. And there are times when people on your team come to you where you wish they wouldn't have. Maybe they would have waited to one of your one-on-ones. Maybe they would have emailed it to you instead of come to your office or called you to interrupt what you're doing and your focus and your attention and your productivity. Because you wish they would have evaluated the cost or the benefit to distracting you or interrupting you or taking your time. So why don't you do the same for them? Why don't you think about choosing emails or meetings because it is a request for someone's time. Someone who is incredibly busy Someone who, when they get distracted, may lose hours of productivity over the course of the day because they keep bouncing from item to item and can't stay focused, and it takes 10-15 minutes to get their mind back to where they were because you needed to insert a meeting. Those meetings 
could be taking away from one of their core priorities. Or it could be contributing to their burnout. Or it could be limiting the amount of time they have to meet and support and motivate the very team that they're supposed to coach and develop. Meetings impact time management. They impact productivity. They impact the ability to prioritize. They impact attention management. And they impact employee engagement. Before you send out a calendar invite, Consider that meetings are multiples of their attendees. If a bad six-minute meeting has ten attendees, that's an hour of wasted productivity. And I would argue it's more than an hour because it takes time for people to refocus on what they were doing and, and, and not check their email again and not check their phone again. Now imagine a bad 30-minute people, a uh, 30-minute meeting with 10 attendees. It's five hours of productivity. Imagine your weekly manager meetings that have 10 people that go an hour. 10 hours times 52 weeks, 520 hours of labor in one-hour management meetings that may not be impactful, collaborative, engaging, or results-oriented. So when I say consider that meetings are multiples of attendees, if you're struggling to be motivated to properly assess the effectiveness of your meetings or the format or the collaboration, it's time to take a look because the amount of hours you're investing, man and woman hours lost, it's a huge productivity piece. And you know what I see a lot of leaders do? It becomes transactional because they're overloaded, they're busy, and so they just figure it'll be a lot quicker and a lot easier for me to set up a meeting with this person. So you can check something off your plate, you got something done, you got a problem resolved. But what you're not evaluating and measuring is the impact of the distraction and could you have gotten a solution a different way instead of calling a meeting with one or multiple people. It may be more convenient for you as an executive and a leader. It may be transactional and help you take less time. But what about the impact it has on others? The exhaustion, the overload, and the meeting and Zoom fatigue. Your modeling behavior, that's, that's the number one thing you do as a leader, is model behavior. I'm working with several companies right now who... We've structured some meeting-free time so they can not just catch up on emails. It's to, to breathe, to take 30 minutes for strategy or collaboration or innovation, to work on priorities, the coaching and development of their team, resiliency, wellness. So those are the kinds of things that you're supposed to be modeling. So here's the big question. How do I know if this meeting could have been done in an email. When we come back from our first break, we'll discuss. For I Communicate, we'll be right back. Now, 
I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. So could this meeting have been an email? Well, before you create that calendar invite, ask yourself if a meeting is not only the only way the information can be shared, if it's the best way for information to be shared. And here's four circumstances to evaluate when pondering meetings versus emails. So the first one is, demonstrate an asynchronous mindset by asking yourself, how would I deliver this message, present this work, or move this project forward right now if no one else on my team or in my company were awake? And see, when you ask yourself that question, and when you demonstrate an asynchronous mindset, you're removing the temptation to take shortcuts. You're removing the temptation to call a meeting to simply gather input. That's not a good format for meetings. It can be. But there are many cases where it is not the most effective way to gather input. Most efficient organization recognize that consensus gathering and decision-making should be done asynchronously after key stakeholders have ingested written input. Many times I've sat in meetings to observe for companies, and what happens is you're asking people for insight and feedback and input on key decisions when they're not ready. They're being put on the spot. They don't have the necessary information to review or understand the scope of the problem because the meeting itself is being used for the input. There wasn't enough preparation to send ahead of time to give them the scope of the problem. So when they come to the meeting, they're prepared with their input, with their why, with their critical thinking cap on. So if you want to collect input in a meeting at bare minimum do it after people are up to speed and they have the necessary input they need or information they need via email prior so that meeting is really honed in on getting to the core solutions of the meeting and i'll tell you something else that's really critical about this is when you approach it this way it enables team members to be on an equal footing with contributions Because often people come to meetings with different levels of understanding, experience, knowledge. People come to meetings with comfort levels because they might be introverted or extroverted and how they share their ideas in meetings. So when you use email to collect input and ideas to consolidate and send out for review prior to the decision-making meeting, and you include specific directives on what you want accomplished prior to the meeting and at the meeting, now you're being efficient and productive with your meeting time. Meetings should be for reviewing concrete ideas, proposals to lead to a more efficient outcome. 
one of the challenges I see when people plan meetings and why they're often ineffective is because there really aren't any clear goals for the meeting. There may be agendas. A lot of people don't even do agendas. A lot of executives and leaders don't even take the time to build an agenda, to set expectations for the meeting. So setting an agenda is one thing. It's a bare minimum thing. But what are the goals? What are the outcomes in each agenda item you're trying to accomplish? How much time do you want to spend on each item in the meeting? Does the person facilitating the meeting feel comfortable when people start going off on tangents and venting to bring it back so the goals and outcomes are accomplished? So could this meeting have been an email? Well, asynchronous mindset. Ask yourself, what will a meeting bring to the table that an email wouldn't? And what information maybe should be communicated in an email prior to the meeting so everybody's on equal footing? It's a huge factor. And then we have efficiency, right? So a lot of people have meetings. I alluded to this before with a lot of executives that are scrambling for time and are overscheduled. So they do meetings to meet with multiple people at the same time. And again, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of executives count that as as one-on-one -on -one time and at least I'm seeing people and I'm engaging with my team I guess it's not ideal it's better than nothing but it's not ideal but when you think about it when you have meetings they typically fall under three categories to share information to discuss problems and challenges and to make decisions so if it's to share information why does it need to be in a meeting if the primary point of your meeting is to catch people up, to share information, because you don't want to sit down and write a long email, record yourself on a video. There's tons of free tools. You don't want to write a long email. But if it's simply to share information, then you don't need a whole meeting for that. And if part of your meeting is to share information, then shorten the meeting to have parts that involve discussion and decisions and don't waste time to share information. There's a huge difference between being productive and efficient. Companies ultimately want people to be productive, but they want their processes and systems to be efficient. From an efficiency perspective, meetings to discuss a challenging issue or to make a decision are a good investment of time. If you feel like you need to do a discussion, make sure people have what they need ahead of time and set the goals and outcomes for what you want the results of the discussion to yield. Do you want a decision? Do you want to progress a process forward so you're closer to make a decision? Be clear. Because if you're, if you're trying to increase efficiency, you don't want to increase efficiency and sacrifice outcomes, sacrifice relationships and engagement and opportunities for collaboration and team building. The third key piece when it comes is to brainstorm new ideas. Now this is a, a very common reason people like to, to bring people together. Brainstorm new ideas. Why do we have to have a meeting to brainstorm ideas? If you're wondering a better way 
to get reporting from your sales CRM? Do you need to have a meeting to brainstorm different softwares? I don't think so. I think that could be done in an email. Why does a meeting have to be brainstorming new ideas? Again, we're back to the excuse of, well, people don't read their emails, they don't respond. Well, then you better set and manage expectations more effectively. Because if people have meeting fatigue and Zoom fatigue, and they want you to be more respective on their time, then they need to respond to the emails. And you have to have clear directions in those emails about what you want them to brainstorm and what kind of suggestions and input you want. It always comes back to setting and managing expectations. Think about it. Think about things that you brainstorm in meetings. And I'm not dismissing the collaboration factor. I know sometimes when you're collaborating and brainstorming, it can be very effective. People can feed off one another and someone says something and it stimulates an idea or a light bulb or a thought process. I get that. I'm not dismissing that. I'm not saying there isn't value in collaborative brainstorming. I'm saying that understand if it needs collaboration, if it's a topic, or you're just defaulting to that because it's simple and convenient and, and you see it as efficient. So discern between whether collaborative brainstorming needs to happen in a meeting or it can happen via email and save people perhaps a heck of a lot of time and save the company perhaps a lot of man or woman hours of productivity. So when we come back for our next segment, I'm going to take you through a problem-solving form that you can use when you're setting expectations and you're guiding people on preparing for meetings to reduce overall meeting time and increase the impact of meetings. So when we come back, we will revisit meetings, problem solving, and preparation. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. You're listening to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. We're talking about pre-meeting preparation. So pre-meeting preparation is for two things. One is to limit amount of meeting time used for input and collaboration. And two, to improve the input and collaboration at meetings. So the first question we have to ask ourselves is, who should be invited to the meeting? Now this continues to be a problem with organizations because... I see it come out in a couple of ways. Sometimes too many people are invited. And again, a lot of that is guilt. You want to feel like you need to include everybody. But why not? Like I'm working with an organization right now who works with manufacturers who insist on leaders in their respective teams to show up in these meetings so they can effectively sell the product. And the manufacturers are paying this company for um, participation and attendance. So I said, wouldn't it make more sense to have one designated person from the team or a leader to show up, and then they present that information to the entire team, the key takeaways or information, rather than assess the effectiveness of a meeting by purely on attendance. So who should be invited to the meeting? You know, are there times when you may want to invite 10 people to a meeting 
but it may be best to take notes and send out a summary of key takeaways and meeting notes. And if people can't make it, it's no big deal as long as they review the notes. So who stands squarely downstream and will be impacted by the decisions made at this meeting? Who is standing right at the juncture where things are happening and could contribute valuable insight and input because they're in the middle of it? And who else might offer a unique perspective that would be important to understand before making the decision? So part of it is who should be invited. Part of it is the efficiency of the invites and when people could stand to miss. And part of it is, to me, there should always be a note taker about key takeaways and action items and next steps. But in your pre-meeting preparation, obviously the first step is, who do I want to invite? And another way to say it is, who do I want to disrupt? Now, if you're looking for input in collaboration, part of what you should be doing in an email is providing a description, a brief two, three sentence description with the relevance is it a challenge? Is it an opportunity? Is it a decision? Is it a recurring problem? Give the person some insight on what they're giving input on and why they should care. Again, the relevance. Capture their attention right out of the gate. And what's at stake? What's at stake with this decision? Why is it on the agenda? Why are we investing the time to have a meeting about it? What's at stake? What are the consequences of the status quo? That's how the email starts. Is it a challenge? Is it an opportunity? Is it a recurring problem? What is the relevance? And what's at stake? What are the consequences? You want to capture people's attention, you better let them know why they should care. And then when you're talking about what's at stake, be even more specific. Is it our revenue growth? Is it our product offerings or service offerings? Is it our ability to attract new customers or retain existing customers? You know, is it how we'll impact individuals or teams within the organization? And ultimately, if the issue isn't resolved, what's the future impact? So those are starting points, right? And then you're going to talk about the ideal outcome. If everything goes according to plan, what results will be seen? What and who will be affected? Let everybody know that this is the outcome you're seeking in this meeting. This is what and who will be affected. Now, before I even go any further, a lot of you may be listening and going, holy smoke, Mark, you know, now we're talking about what the issue is, what's at stake, What's the future impact if not resolved? What the ideal outcome? I mean, heck, this could take me, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes to write this email. It could. It probably will. But the difference is, it's about quality, not quantity. You're setting the stage for people to come to the meeting with a different mindset, with a different level of preparation, with an active level of engagement with an understanding why they should care. So, yeah, you might have to find 15 or 20 minutes, but if you want the results and impact of the meeting to be significantly different, it's worth it. Anytime 
you invest preparation time for yourself, for your team, for your organization, it's universally a win because you're usually going to be more effective at anything you do when you've taken preparation time for it. So here's some other things to include in the email. Background information. How, when, why, where did this issue start? So let people understand the origin of this issue, who the key players are, and how the roles will be impacted. Let, let people who are reading this know what steps successful and unsuccessful have taken place in the past. What have you tried? That's critical. Because when people come to the meeting and make suggestions that you've already tried, you're wasting discussion where if you let them know, here are the things we've done, here's what's worked, here's what haven't worked. So they don't come to meetings with recycled ideas. Now, lastly, you share the current problem status and the option or options you are considering. So if you were going to make a decision right now without input from the people involved, this is what you would do. Go on a limb. Go out on a limb. Even if it's the wrong decision, be vulnerable. Let people know what you're leaning to and why. And then, this is the biggest piece of all. And I tell you, there are so few people that I ever see do this. When you're seeking input and collaboration, whether it's via email prior, whether it's at the meeting, tell people what you want from them. Do you want to know potential blind spots? Do you want to know questions to allow you to see different perspectives? Do you want to know consequences that you may have missed? Do you want people to validate and acknowledge strengths of your proposed solution? Do you want to know additional resources to consider? And do you want to know alternative solutions? I just gave you six things that people could offer insight and input on. It's unlikely you'll want all six. You may want anywhere from one to three of those. You may want all of them. But when people are giving you input, guide them to know what to say, what to discuss, what to focus on. I use this example. Imagine if you're a company and you have a website and you just launched a new website. And you email out a bunch of people you respect and trust and say, we just launched our new website. Could you give me feedback? What do you think? Well, that would be overwhelming to me. Because I would say to myself, well, what do you mean, what do I think? Do you want me to com comment on the interface? Do you want me to comment on the content, the aesthetics, the usability, mobile friendly? You get it. I don't know. Don't just ask me for feedback. Because what do you want feedback on? So when you're having a meeting, when you're sending out an email with collaboration, what do you want insight on? Guide people. Let them know. Should they come to the meeting with questions? Should they come to the meeting with additional resources? Should they come to the meeting with alternative solutions? You have to tell people. And you know what? The way you build the habit is you create an email template that has the six examples I just gave you about 
what kind of feedback and input you want. So every time you start an email, those six pop up and you'll keep whichever of the six you're asking for so you don't forget to include them. This is your format for email preparation, for problem-solving topic, challenge, issue preparation, so everybody comes in on equal footing and everybody knows what's expected of them and everybody knows they need to participate. So, when we come back for our final segment of Is This Meeting Necessary? We're going to talk about the final piece of meeting or email. For Mark Altman, this is I Communicate. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. We're talking about the effectiveness and appropriateness of having meetings, what to discuss, when to have them, how often to have them, and we're, we're at the point of handling sensitive topics. So, look, bad news, emotionally charged topics, things that could create adverse reactions with conflict, they should be in meetings. You don't give bad news in an email. You don't use the word unfortunately in an email. You address them face to face. You invest the time and you prepare. What is the message in this meeting? What is the impact and consequences to the person, to their team, to the organization, to others involved? Remember, when you're having a in-person or video interaction, you allow space for nuance, tone, and body language. And, and you allow space to address misinterpretations. Things can be construed poorly when put in written form, such as performance management conversations or coaching conversations. So that's a case where it's not an email. It has to be a meeting has to be invested the time and invest enough time people are human they have emotions invest enough time to be empathetic invest enough time to listen to understand invest enough time to be able to embrace different perspectives look we're, we're in an era right now where companies are bringing people back to work and there's this urge to default to meetings. And in hybrid work environments, I have to tell you that hybrid meetings where some people are in person and some people are on a Zoom, they're very ineffective. It creates a hierarchy and it's very frustrating to people. Pick up the phone, put some thoughtful content together that's relevant and engaging to people that can be done in an email. Now, what better way to finish the, tone, the show today with when you do have less meetings, there's some tangible and intangible rewards for leaders. And you know what they are? They are, you get to block out time to do other things with your newfound less meeting time. And here's the challenge. What happens is, when leaders do take my advice and make the meetings less frequent, more purposeful and impactful, 
more engaging and collaborative, they don't make good use of their newfound time. They get lazy and take low-hanging fruit and catch up. They're catching up. Well, that's not really motivating. Because if I want to free up more time in my schedule, and I'm a leader, I want to free up more time so I can tackle my high-level priorities. I want to free up more time to prepare for other meetings so I'm a more inspirational, motivational, and effective coach and leader. I want to think about ways to be more of innovative and strategic where I might just sit and decide what my highest level problem for my department is right now and think of some strategies that I could use to improve this issue. Something that appears incredibly daunting but now appears manageable. I want to think on developmental areas that I need to practice. Feedback I've received that I need time to take some courses, read more about, get some coaching, do some training. I want to think about things that I should be more proactive as opposed to reactive. I mean, in sales leadership, one of the things that often happens is you do call coaching. And that often falls by the wayside because people are too busy. Are there opportunities to do some call coaching? In other departments, are there opportunities to actually do some developmental coaching? In other words, when you have one-on-one meetings with your team, it's usually reactive. What problems are going on? How can I help? Um, Let's catch up. I'll let you know what's going on in my world. You'll let me know what's going on in your world. But what about development? What about areas of development? What if someone on your team is struggling with time management or prioritizing their tasks or developing new processes or procedures or having difficult conversations with people on their team? That's what your newfound time can coach and develop people to do those things better. You have to make a list because if you create time for yourself, you're going to probably default to the low-hanging fruit to just to catch up on emails and stuff you're behind on. You have to have a list in front of you that motivates you and engages you so you see the opportunities available to you if you are going to free up more time. So you're not so busy with reactive tasks and you're busy with proactive strategy, coaching, and development. Now, I have a client right now who I've been coaching for a while, doing some executive coaching. And over a span of a couple of months, I gave her a series of techniques, strategies, approaches. She was in distress. She was upset. She felt overwhelmed, too much on her plates, plate, over burnout, daunting, didn't know where to begin. So I gave her two simple steps among the coaching I did and say, I want you to do this and I want you to free up um, an hour a day each day to do what I'm telling you to do. So here's a person who's overwhelmed, too much on their plate and busy, and now I just asked them to free up five hours of their time. And she did. And when I spoke to her a few months later after she had developed the habit and the momentum, I said, you know, I have to ask the obvious question everybody's thinking. 
what what aren't you getting done anymore because you took five hours to do something else because you felt like you weren't getting to anything and overwhelmed so things must be slipping you must not be getting to certain things she said nothing I said how can that be there has to be some things falling you 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 used five hours for some time you didn't have she goes Mark I'm just much more efficient and productive because I'm having less meetings. I'm taking 30 minutes a day to decompress. I go out for a walk. I just don't think of work. I have a phone conversation with a friend. I just do something outside of work that helps me clear my thoughts. And I'm not getting as distracted. So all the time I lost when I was jumping from task to task and project to project, I have focus time. So I'm, I'm more productive in the time that I have. So frankly, not only have I not lost any time or let anything fall by the wayside, but I'm happier than I've ever been and I'm more productive than I've ever been. I said, imagine that. Imagine having to budget five more hours into a taxing, overwhelming schedule and finding out that you're not missing out on anything. You're getting more done than you've ever done and you're happier than you have ever done. You have choices, folks. I talk about it on the show all the time. You have choices. You are not, in many cases, in most cases, resigned to a fate. You have choices. You make decisions on how you spend your time, how many meetings you have, how often you spend coaching and developing people on your team, the effort to build your organization or your individual team, or your personal growth. Yes, there are some things in life And there are some things at work that you have to do. It could be a requirement of your job. That's true. But in most things in life, you have choices. And it starts with recognizing you have choices. Because if you have a resignation mindset, everything feels daunting. You don't know where to begin. And even incremental growth might feel overwhelming. So I'm asking you to switch to a resig- from a resignation mindset to a you have choices mindset. You don't have to make all your leaders come to every meeting. You don't have to have as many meetings as you do. You have alternatives. You don't have to send long, boring emails that represent a brain dump that you're happy you got something off your mind, but they're never going to read it because it's too long and they don't have time. You have choices. Make the right choices to make information sharing effective, meaningful, and impactful, whether it's via email in the written form or whether it's in a meeting form. The sooner you recognize that you have choices, the happier and more successful you will be as an individual. So that's it for this episode of I Communicate. Is this meeting necessary? Hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.